Section 17 of The Science History of the Universe, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in June 2017. The Science History of the Universe, Volume 4. Edited by Francis Rolt Wheeler. Chemistry. Chapter 13. Valence, the Constitution of Organic Compounds, and the Development of Stereochemistry. In the preceding chapter, mention has been made of the influence exerted by Franklin on the views developed by Kolbe respecting the constitution of organic compounds. It was Franklin who, in his now classical paper, a new series of organic compounds containing metals, demonstrated that the pairing of the radicals with the elements was to be explained on the ground of some characteristic property of the atoms, and thus he expelled the useless part of the radical theory. 1852. Franklin observed that, quote, When the formulae of inorganic chemical compounds are considered, even a superficial observer is struck with the general symmetry of their constitution, the compounds of nitrogen, phosphorus, antimony and arsenic especially, exhibit the tendency of these elements to form compounds containing three or five equivalents of other elements, and it is in these proportions that their affinities are best satisfied. Thus, in the ternal group we have NO3, NH3, NI3, NS3, PO3, PH3, PCL3, SBO3, SBH3, SBCL3, ASO3, ASH3, ASCL3, etc., and in the 5-atom group NO5, NH4O, NH4I, PO5, PH4I, etc. Without offering any hypothesis regarding the cause of the symmetrical grouping of atoms, it is sufficiently evident, from the examples just given, that such a tendency or law prevails, and that, no matter what the character of the uniting atoms may be, the combining power of the attracting element, if I may be allowed the term, is always satisfied by the same number of these atoms. End quote. He then proceeded to represent the organometallic compounds obtained by formulae which brought out the analogy with the inorganic types from which they were thought to have been derived. From his work on the organometallic compounds, Franklin developed the doctrine of the valence of the elements, the germ of which may be recognized in much that has gone before, particularly in the law of multiple proportions, which stated that the elements show different yet definite stages in their combinations. The so-called doctrine of the polybasic acids contributed materially to the development of ideas upon the subject of the saturation capacity of the atoms. Gay-Lussac, Gmelin, and others inclined to the assumption that the atoms of the various metallic oxides contained one atom of oxygen united to one atom of metal, and that these oxides combined with one atom of acid to form neutral salts. 
Versalius also, after 1628, considered that this combining proportion was the rule. However, by Thomas Graham's famous investigation of the phosphoric acids, 1833, it was shown that a view so simple as this, according to which almost every acid was looked upon as monobasic, was untenable. Graham proved that in the ortho, pyro, and metaphosphoric acids, for each atom of phosphorus pentoxide, there were three, two, and one atoms of basic water, these latter being replaced by equivalent amounts of metallic oxides. The saturation capacities of these acids were in this way shown to be dependent upon the amounts of basic water which entered into their constitution. Liebig extended this to many other acids and distinguished between mono, di, and tribasic acids, and the property was referred to as the basicity of the atoms, a term which, with the ideas inherent in it, clung for some time to the theory of valence. In 1857, for example, the terms basicity, valency, and atomicity were used as synonymous, and as the measure of the number of hydrogen atoms that could be replaced or held in combination. The idea of basicity was soon extended to the compound organic radicals. In 1855, C. A. Wurz, 1870 to 1884, a pupil of Liebig and Dumas, showed that glycerin, C3H8O3, may be regarded as the hydrate of the radical C3H5. Four years previous, A. W. Williamson, 1824 to 1904, had expressed the view that a large number of compounds may be referred to the type of water, the monobasic acids to one molecule, and the polybasic acids, which are of greater molecular complexity, to a condensed water type. He wrote, C2H3O, H, O, equals acetic acid. SO2H2O2 equals sulfuric acid. Wurz now showed that the composition of glycerin could be represented by the formula C3H5 3' H3O3, which was similar to the formula by which, in accordance with the ideas of Williamson, ordinary phosphoric acid, PO3 prime, H3O3, was represented. Gerhardt, in his Traité de Chimie Organique, stated that, quote, In order to compare the radicals among themselves, I propose to refer them all to the radical of hydrogen, and consequently I name them monatomic, diatomic, triatomic, according to the quantity of hydrogen which they are capable of replacing in the type H2O, that is, according to whether they are equivalent to one, two, or three atoms of hydrogen, so for instance in alcohol and in ether, O, C2H5, OH, C2H5, O, C2H5. C2H5, the radical ethyl, is monatomic because it replaces H, one atom of hydrogen, in the type water. End quote. The terms monatomic and polyatomic 
had been employed much earlier, but in a different sense. Thus, in 1827, Berzelius called fluorine, chlorine, etc., polyatomic, because several atoms of these halogens unite with a single atom of another element. In 1833, Gaudin de Saint used the same terms to express the number of atoms in a molecule, in which sense they were used by Gmelin, Clausius, and Odling. Williamson attached the idea of capacity for saturation or atomicity of the radical to the number of hydrogen atoms capable of substitution, and the notion of atomicity was soon extended to the known compound radicals and played an important part in the theory of types, etc., which obtained in organic chemistry. Franklin's speculations concerning the substitution value of radicals compared with that of elementary atoms were of great importance, yet they did not meet with immediate approval. By 1858, however, the valence theory had made rapid progress. In this year, August Kekulé first deduced the valence of carbon from its simplest compounds, declaring it to be tetravalent. This had already been recognized by Kolbe and Franklin, if not expressly stated by them. But Kekulé rendered further and much greater service by inquiring into the manner in which two or more of these tetravalent carbons were united with one another. The doctrine of atomic chains, open and closed, sprang from this, and the domination of the structural idea in chemistry became complete. In the same year, and independently of Kekulé, M. S. Couper arrived at conclusions almost identical with those of Kekulé. Both Kekulé and Couper expressed with absolute definiteness the axiom that the atomicity of the elements was to be made use of for arriving at the constitution of chemical compounds. The idea of the term atomicity had without any doubt been introduced by Franklin six years previous to this. The further development of the above axiom and its utilization in the theory of the linking of atoms was carried out mainly by Kekulé, and in the succeeding years also by Butlerow and Erlenmeyer. While the radical and type theories were attempts at securing an idea of the structure of chemical compounds, it was the valence theory which rendered it possible to furnish a lucid answer to the question as to the composition of such bodies, and, especially after the year 1870, the determination of the constitution of complex molecules became the higher aim of chemistry. Some rudiments of systematic classification had before this been introduced into organic chemistry, and these classificatory beginnings were of great assistance in the erection of structural chemistry. In 1836, Laurent, when he brought forward his nucleus series, arranged organic compounds in series, and it was in 1841 that Gerhard entered on a research to discover some general law which might suggest an all-sufficing system of classification, and the following year he was ready with his ladder of combustion, with its highest rung cerebral matter, its lowest carbonic acid, water, and ammonia, to enfold the whole science of organic chemistry. He soon found, however, that this arrangement, according to mere complexity of composition, was no sufficient classification, 
so he betook himself to another line of inquiry. A note of triumph seems to ring through the following lines from the preface to his Précis de Chimique Organique, published in 1844. Quote, I have succeeded in establishing homologous series. These have indicated to me the means of classifying organic substances in natural families, and of disposing them on a kind of combustion ladder. End quote. As a matter of fact, it was only the word homology that Gerhard could claim as his own. Two years earlier, J. Scheel had shown that a very simple relation existed between the alcohols then known, that their radicals might all be represented by the general expression NR plus H, R suggesting the group C2H2, C equals 6. Moreover, in the same year, Dumas had demonstrated the existence of a similar relation between the several members of the fatty acids known to him. Yet Gerhard generalized from this fact of homology, and proved the possibility of predicting the existence of terms unknown in his series. Many systems of classification were suggested during the sixth decade, the classification by series as that of Scheele and Dumas, that of series depending upon formulae, series depending upon chemical behavior, and many other systems. The lack of agreement among chemists, however, as to the formulae belonging to the different compounds, as to the relative weights of the molecules, the atomic weights, and even the number of atoms, prevented a general acceptance of any of the classifications proposed until Kekulé established the fact of the tetravalence of the carbon atom, showed the difference between saturated and unsaturated compounds, and deduced his chain formulae. About 1860, Franklin's views regarding a saturation capacity peculiar to the elements were accepted either deliticently or expressly by most chemists, but it was considered that this saturation capacity, under certain circumstances, might be a varying one. In 1856, Gerhardt had stated that nitrogen was sometimes triatomic and sometimes pentatomic. This view was also held by Franklin, Wurz, Williamson, and Couper, and the latter three considered that the valence was also variable in the cases of many other elements. Kolbe thought that it must be assumed that a constant valency was characteristic of a few elements, and a varying one characteristic of many more, since he perceived in it another expression for the law of multiple proportions, and nothing was known concerning the cause of valence. As early as 1854, Kolbe had concluded that each element possessed a maximum saturation capacity, but that lower stages of saturation might exist along with this. And toward the beginning of the 60s, several chemists who took an active part in developing the structure theory expressed the same opinion in a more definite manner. Erlenmeyer, in particular, maintained in various papers, and afterward in his Lehrbuch der Organischen Chemie, that each element possesses a maximum valency, or that each is furnished with a definite number of affinivalenten, or affinity points, affinitätspunkten, only part of these, however, being in many cases combined with the affinity points of other elements. 
Kekulé's theory of the constant balance of the elements could not withstand the critical examinations to which it was subjected, however, and in the course of the last forty years the majority of chemists have adopted the view that the atoms of most of the elements possess a varying saturation capacity, varying according to the conditions. Although the structure theory was unable to accomplish the extreme expectations which aimed at a knowledge of the special arrangement of the atoms, it possessed nonetheless great practical value. The development of organic chemistry since the middle of the sixth decade shows in fact that, through the aid of the structural hypothesis, the discovery of new modes of formation and decomposition of compounds, the recognition of the relations existing between various classes of bodies, and, especially, the interpretation of the constitution of numerous organic substances became possible. Kekulé's theory of the aromatic compounds forms the most striking proof of this. In 1865 to 1866, taking the quadrivalence of carbon as his principle, Kekulé called attention to the fact that in the fatty compounds the carbon atoms are linked together by one valence of each. In the case of benzene, the next simplest assumption was made, in accordance with which the carbon atoms are linked together by one and two valencies alternately, so as to form a closed chain or ring. Of the twenty-four affinities of the six carbon atoms, eighteen are employed in linking carbon to carbon. Thus, six over two times four plus six over two times two equals eighteen. Six valencies then remain which are satisfied by the six hydrogen atoms of the benzene. Hence, according to Kekulé, benzene may be represented by means of a regular hexagon whose sides are composed of single and of double lines alternately, the CH groups occupying the corners, thus. Kekulé and his pupils, together with many other chemists who had busied themselves with the derivatives of benzene after this view had been published, now directed their efforts to comparing all the known and rapidly increasing observations bearing upon this class of bodies with the deductions drawn from the above formula, and therewith to proving by actual experiment the admissibility of the assumptions on which the formula was based. The result was that Kekulé's anticipations were realized and his hypothesis substantiated. In 1866, Kekulé had stated that, quote, What is wanted is that the largest possible number of substitution products of benzene should be prepared by the most diverse methods, that they should be most carefully compared with regard to isomerism, that the modifications so found should be counted. End quote. And in the 1867 edition of his textbook, he called attention to a number of cases of isomerism which at that time had received no explanation. Among these we find that of ethylene chloride with ethylidine chloride, of acetyl with diethyl glycol, for maleic and fumaric, for mucic and saccharic acids, the last effort of his philosophy had only found him the two formula C four H two double prime O two H two O two and C six H eight double prime O six H two 
O2, respectively. Kekulé instanced, too, those bodies which only differed in their effect on polarized light, the tartaric, the malic, and camphoric acids, and the amyl alcohols. It was owing to these cases of isomerism that structural formulae could not be assigned. In some cases a greater number of isomeric bodies were known than could possibly be accounted for by any arrangement of the atoms in formulae upon a plane surface, retaining, of course, the accepted views as to valence, etc., and since these isomers differed principally in certain physical properties, they were at first termed physical isomers. The study of these resulted in the consideration of the arrangement of atoms in space, the chemistry of space, or stereochemistry, in which branch of the science an extended view of atomic grouping was essayed. Modern stereochemistry was anticipated by Emanuel Swedenborg in 1721, when he made an attempt to explain the phenomena of chemistry and physics on geometrical principles in his Prodromus Principorium Rerum Naturalium Sive Novorum Tentaminum Chimiam et Physicam Experimentalem Geometrice Explicandi, and similar beginnings were made by Johann Barkusen ten years earlier. In 1864, Carius, who first used the term physical isomerism, explained it as follows. Quote, I have tentatively expressed a view as to the cause of what I call physical isomerism. Substances which exhibit this property yield, under the same or nearly the same conditions, products which are either identical or physically isomeric. According to our present views, I think it improbable that such substances should have their atoms differently arranged, that is, that they should be metameric. But it is quite conceivable that in the formation of physical isomers, differences of condition may cause the production of substances with the same arrangement of the atoms within the molecule, but with a different aggregation of these molecules, and that thereon depends the difference in their properties. Thus, we must consider as certainly only physically isomeric a large number of the substances distinguished by the difference of their action on polarized light, such as the two modifications of amyl alcohol, the tartaric acids, the malic acids, etc. End quote. This explanation was inadequate, and in 1873, Johannes Wislensius, 1835 to 1902, who succeeded Kolbe as professor of chemistry at Leipzig in 1885, suggested the substitution of the term geometrical isomerism for physical isomerism. He had been engaged in an investigation of the various modifications of lactic acid and had found that the ethylene lactic acid or hydracrylic acid prepared by Beilstein by treating beta-iodopropionic acid with silver oxide, possessed properties different from those of the ethylene lactic acid obtained from ethylene cyanhydrin. This difference was so marked that he thought it might be explained by assigning the two acids different structural formulae. The first was optically inactive, while the second, paralactic acid, was dextrorotary. This one point of difference appeared hardly sufficient to 
make it necessary to assign to paralactic acid a structural formula other than that of fermentation lactic acid. It seemed much more likely that here, at any rate, were cases of what Carius had called physical, but what Wislicenus now proposed to call geometrical isomerism. He said, quote, My conclusion for the present is to declare paralactic acid and the fermentation lactic acid as most probably only geometrically isomeric. Their great similarity, even identity in all chemical properties, the ease of transformation on heating of the first into the second, and their differences, particularly in optical behavior, may all alike be explained on this basis. Concerning the special how of this explanation, I am engaged in experimental investigations. End quote. The next year J. A. van Hoff furnished an answer to this. However, before giving his exposition, mention must be made of Louis Pasteur's (1822–1895) pioneer work in this field. Pasteur studied the various tartrates crystallographically, and showed that there are four isomeric tartaric acids, that is, racemic acid, inactive tartaric acid, and right and left rotating tartaric acids. He showed, moreover, that the two latter acids crystallize in similar, but in oppositely built up, enantiomorph forms, that they both rotate a ray of polarized light through equal angles, but in opposite senses, and that when mixed in equal quantities, they yield optically inactive racemic acid. Further, he succeeded in decomposing racemic acid again into the two optically active tartaric acids by three different methods. Pasteur established the correlation of molecular dissymmetry and rotary power in these investigations, and it remained to discover under which conditions the dissymmetry could obtain in two molecules structurally identical. This was undertaken in 1874 by J. A. van Hoff in Holland and J. A. Lebel in France, who in papers published that year offered an explanation practically the same for cases of isomerism which could not be included under the theories of the time. Van Hoff states that in general Lebel's original paper and his were in accord, but that while Pasteur's researchers formed Lebel's starting point, he took for his own Kekulé's laws of the tetravalence of carbon, to which he added the hypothesis that the four valencies are directed toward the corners of the tetrahedron in the center of which is the carbon atom. To quote from Freund's study of chemical composition, quote, Van Hoff introduced no fundamental change in or addition to the original valency hypothesis, a two-dimensional representation of molecular structure could not at any time have been considered as really true to the actual occurrence, but it was legitimate to use it, because of its greater simplicity, as long as it proved adequate to the purpose. And with this recognition and restriction, we continue to use plain structural formulae in the majority of cases. End quote. Van Hoff, following up the suggestion that may be found implied in Pasteur's paper, and that was explicitly stated by Wislicenius, introduces into the science the consideration of the arrangement of atoms in space. Quote, Stereochemistry, 
from stereos solid in the restricted sense of the word comprises chemical phenomena which demand a consideration of the grouping of atoms in space End quote. carbon compounds only were considered at first but the scope of the phenomena dealt with has been extended and now includes compounds of trivalent and pentavalent nitrogen of tin and of sulphur van hoff's theory of the asymmetric carbon atom however met with difficulties on its enunciation to quote from f p armitage's history of chemistry quote, when van hoff enunciated his theory of the asymmetric carbon atom he was able to say with much show of truth that all optically active substances did contain certainly one such atom soon however were heard dissentient voices what of propyl alcohol asked one and of styrolene demanded another the propyl alcohol owes its activity to traces of amyl alcohol answered henninger the styrolene is impure said van hoff and their evidence was irrefutable but van hoff could not in eighteen seventy four maintain that the presence of one asymmetric carbon atom necessarily implied optical activity for secondary amyl alcohol and its derivatives also propylene alcohol were certainly inactive yet all contained an asymmetric carbon atom the problem set the stereochemists was somewhat similar to that of the relation between tartaric and racemic acid so happily solved years before by pasteur his methods were recalled and lebel soon showed that these inactive bodies were in reality mixtures of two optically opposite isomers and others helping that indeed every substance with but one asymmetric carbon atom was equally capable of mesotomism the four varieties of tartaric acid had offered no difficulty with two asymmetric carbon atoms similarly habited there was necessarily neutralization or duplication of optical activity but where two or more carbon atoms occurred asymmetric by union with different radicals as in the sugars and their derivatives many more cases of physical isomerism suggested themselves and have since been verified without doubt the asymmetric carbon atom has made a triumphant progress winning for lebel the jecker prize of eighteen eighty one for van hoff a dominant voice in the scientific councils of the world it will rank with the phlogiston of stahl the oxygen of lavoisier the atom of dalton and the dualism of berzelius among the most noted workers in the field of stereochemistry have been a von bayer wallach victor meyer rike bischoff werner hansch Auers, and overton even now the subject is in its infancy and stereochemical theories are as yet insufficiently advanced to present a clear view of the question of geometrical isomerism yet as ladenburg has said quote, it is beyond doubt that the founding and development of stereochemistry a name which originated with victor meyer is the most important thing that was accomplished in organic chemistry during the last two decades of the nineteenth century stereochemistry possesses a significance for this period similar to that which the foundation and introduction of the theory of aromatic compounds possessed for the twenty years preceding End quote.
End of section 17